0: Welcome to The Space of the Waste, featuring host Melody Edmondson. Do you struggle with the right look to complement your body shape? Have you tried so many different looks and styles only to be disappointed time and again? You've landed on the right program. We'll show you how to make the right style work in your favor. Now here is Melody Edmondson. Welcome to the Variety Channel. Thank you so much for tuning in today. On Tuesday, to the Space of the Waste, uh, we are www.voiceamerica.com. You may go to the Space of the Waste, and that's W-A-I-S-T, Space of the Waste. And if you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, they are all right on my page there, on my homepage, melody. Initial C, Melody, M-E-L-O-D-Y, Edmondson, E-D-M-O-N-D-S-O-N, if you want to hear any of the previous episodes. Uh, also, if you'd like to have uh, a visual and be able to see your body shape by your waist length, be that balance, short long waisted, and any of the multiple body shapes, you can go to my Pinterest and I have many boards there under the space of the waist on Pinterest. You go in and look at your board. BW is balance waist, SW is short waist and LW is long waist and then they're all by body shape. The today we do have our guest Sally DeMarco. I'm so thrilled to have her. And she is going to tell us about her background and how she came to be the Queen of Baltimore. I've been told she is. Okay. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> Sally Thank you,
1: thank you for that lovely introduction. Well, I'll tell you all a little bit about my background, which started way back in Italy, Sicily. I was born in a small town, which is now a big tourist attraction uh, called Cefalu in Sicily, Italy. And I was born into a family of women that were designers and they had their own design house. They had their own school. And uh, they cater to all the wealthy women of the town, my uh I was born into a really well-off family, first of all. So I lived in in Italy in this huge—I would call it a mansion—with 18 bedrooms and all that. My grandfather had 13 children, and he was he was an American citizen. He exported, imported um, wine and cheeses between Italy and America. So we were okay; we were financially sound. But um, my mom and her sisters—two sisters. Uh, two sisters uh, she had another sister, but she had to stay home and take. Care of all the other kids, uh, they went off to Naples and studied fashion designing uh, because in those days they didn't have patterns. You can't just go, at, or there weren't hardly. We we're talking about the thirties and all that, and uh, late thirties, and you really couldn't go to stores to buy garments. Everybody, everybody um, relied on dressmakers and tailors, and so they started to have uh, wealthy clients that they made clothes for after they got their degrees. Uh, my, uh, my aunt Josephine, we called her Pina and Italian and my aunt Rose and my mother, who was Concetta. Um, well, my mom was more into the, doing the uh, artwork so that she would draw the uh, designs and they would do the embroidery work on the clothing. And she really wasn't much into the design. And when they started the school, The story goes that my two aunts, uh, my mother just just wanted to draw pictures all the time of flowers. They just gave her a degree so she would have a piece of paper. Um, So she would be respectable (laughs) at that time. So they started this school. So I kind of grew up in that environment. They eventually my uh, two aunts married Italian-Americans and they came to, Mar- uh, they landed in New York first. We stayed behind, but they landed in New York and then eventually came to Baltimore because their older brother was there and he had started a chain of grocery stores, which was another important trade for Baltimore at the time. So eventually in 1958, um, my two aunts managed to get someone from the one of the factory, the owners of the factories, the sponsor us, and we were able to come to America. So we landed in, in Baltimore in 1958. Uh, at that time, the millinery industry was huge. Now, Baltimore was second to New York fashion around that time. It all ended in the 70s. So either most of the women's were happened in New York, although there was quite a bit of it here, um, and then the rest happened in um, Oops, in Baltimore. So anyway, Baltimore was a huge center for fashion design, and it was sort of kind of a normal thing for immigrants to migrate and come and land in Baltimore if they had those skills. So my mom and her sisters, my Aunt Rose became a millinery designer, pretty well-known millinery designer. And my mom and her other sister, Josephine, went to work in the menswear industry. So I you know, once I landed in America, kind of was still I was still in the menswear industry. We were my family was friends with all the owners of the huge factories. So as a little girl, they would invite us to their homes, drive us in their Cadillacs, which I thought was such a big deal. So when it came time, and my aunts and my mom were very much into education, so it was like we all had to go to college, myself and my sister and my cousins and that kind of thing. So when I uh, my since my, fam- my father owned this grocery store, I would always be constantly drawing fashions on paper bags And when I was working in the stores. So every customer left with one of my original designs. And one day, and I had really never, at that point I was in high school, and I never had given any thought of what I was going to do. I really wanted to go into the sciences. Um, but then I thought, oh, well, you know, if I go into medicine or whatever, what if somebody dies on me or something, which of course would happen. Um, my, my Aunt Rose, you know, she said, you know, you'd make a great fashion designer. I want you drawing all those pictures and uh, things like that. Why don't you think about that? I, I thought, oh, that's not, maybe that is what I want to do because yes. I'm always drawing pictures. And um, and I would always help them. There was so much work in the factories and in the millinery that my Aunt Rose would always bring home hats and I would help her drape the hats, put flowers on them. I would help the other aunts and my mother with handwork on the ta- on the coats because the menswear industry was really, really big. So they would bring the coats home and it, and, and just just work on them and at their side, I really learned the fine art of tailoring and how to just really work with nice fabrics. They did not work with junk. They taught me about fit. Uh, my Ambrose would have, if, if, if someone needed a hem done, it would be fitted on the person and the person would be standing there with the, and she'd be on the floor with the measuring tape and measuring all the way around. And not, nowadays they just draw a line and flip it up and call it a hem. So it was just fitted to the person. I learned all that. I learned so much. Um, it, at their side, that uh, it was sort of a natural thing for me to go into fashion designing. So I started to apply. I got accepted to a school in Atlanta, but my father at that time said, oh, no, my daughter is not leaving the state of Maryland. Uh, And when you grow up in a strict Italian family, that's just the way it is. And he said, you know, I've done my research. And I thought, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I've done my research and there's the Maryland Institute College of Art and they have fashion design there. You apply there. And um, with Maryland Institute now is known as MICA for short. It's one of the top... Top art schools in the United States, and I thought, "Oh my God, I'll never make it in there." He's forcing me to apply, and and I really want to get out of town and all that. So I applied, and I made it in there. I got accepted, and um, it, which was it you know, wasn't an easy feat to do because I uh, everyone had in a fantastic art background from school from their previous, the high schools that they came from. I went to a Catholic high school where the nuns just stressed academics. There was no Mm -hmm. art at all. So I had to put a portfolio together and I kind of taught myself, you know, took books out of the library and taught myself how to whatever they wanted, which was a self. Did you speak English?
0: Did you speak English
1: that high school? Yeah, but when I came, they put me in the third grade and no, I did not speak English. Fortunately, there was a nice little Italian boy in my class and he would take me by the hand and translate everything for me. Thank God. God. I know. Thank God for him. And we're still friends. (laughs) We still know. Yay. So I I didn't speak English, but I caught on very fast. I was eight years old when I came in 1958. Um, And so my sister ended up in first grade. I ended up in third. Uh, But I managed to do okay. I did all right. I cried the first year. It was very difficult. But I, I survived and went on to high school. And um, and the interesting thing is that I went to a high school with Cloyster nuns, and the nuns were actually supporting me going to, to an art school college which is really not unheard of but they kind of saw that i had this sort of raw talent and i i was surprised because i thought oh they're going to want me to go to a liberal arts college and they supported that but i got into the maryland institute college of art i did my four years i graduated at the top of my class i won every design award that they had to give out in the fashion design program and the last award that i got as a senior was the senior of the year award which i shared with another uh, classmate, but it was the Claire McArdle Senior of the Year Award. And Claire McArdle was a famous designer in the 50s who was from Frederick, Maryland. And um, her brother lived uh, in Baltimore. And so at the time, Sally Kirkland, not the actress, but uh, she was the life re- a reporter for Life. I, I don't know if you remember her. But she came to the Maryland Institute and I was writing a book about her and she photographed us. So we had to design a garment that was inspired by Claire McArdle and I got the Claire McArdle Senior of the Year Award. So I got to meet the McArdle family. um, They gave me a money award back then. So that was a, a real big thing. And fast forward now, like last year, um, since she was from Frederick, Maryland, the Frederick Arts Club, the women there got together and hired a female sculptor- sculptress and they sculpted a bronze um, replica of Claire McCardle, and it is in Frederick, Maryland at the Riverwalk and I was able to do a little presentation for them, how I met the C- McCardle family and uh, how I got to see the garments where I was able to study uh, the garments up and close. And so... So that that kind of happened, which there aren't many uh, public statues of women. And Claire McCardo is in Frederick, Maryland. If anyone is in town or is in Frederick, Maryland, go and see it because it's it's a beautiful statue. Anyway, and I was just thrilled to uh, to ha- to be a part of that. So anyway, oh, back nice. on, so I graduated, but during my senior year of college, I got a um, internship uh, with the Glenbrook Coke Company. My family knew them, so they helped me, of course, get the internship. And Mister Jolet, he's uh, long past now, the, the uh, head designer and owner of the company. He uh, hired me to do to do my internship there in my senior year. And it was an amazing experience. Mr. Jolet and his youth worked with Coco Chanel the real Coco Chanel. He apprenticed under Coco Chanel and he learned all the fine art of tailoring. And we actually were able, I, I, he taught me how to mold the clothes to the body. When we were making patterns, we were actually using masking tape to make the um, the muslin, which is the first, first try or first garment prototype for the actual garment when we cut it in fashion fabric. So he taught me a whole way of fitting, which was, really molded to a person's body but he also but I also learned all the techniques that Chanel used in making her suits that she passed on to him and he passed on to me so it was an amazing experience uh, to be there Marvelous. for an internship and Mr. Jolet loved my work and so he hired me when I gra- immediately as I, after I graduated he hired me to be his, his assistant designer and I worked with him to uh, he was doing mostly coats he wanted me to focus on a tail line of clothing. And in those days, we used real great fabrics, natural fibers. There wasn't much of a synthetic. Things were fitted to the body. We knew where the waistline was. That played an important role into, uh, into the fit of the garment. We knew where the hip line was and all that. So mm-hmm. things were almost like molded to the body. But so Mr. Jolet had the contract to do the Chanel Dior and Yves Saint Laurent fur lined coats at that time. So I was Wonderful. able to work on those lines. And um, so... I, I gathered more information and learned more techniques and, and learned how to work with fur. We did a lot of the fur line, we at that we did a lot of fur line coats because there was the the movement. PETA was after people about not wearing um mink and all the other furs on the outside. So we, we had to start putting it as a lining to kind of so that people would not know and you still would keep nice and warm. Um, So it's just it's just an amazing time that I really learned. I learned more about whatever I learned at school, what I learned at the side of my family and um, also with Mr. Jolet, all of that was uh, they were all high haute couture, high fashion Techniques that I learned. I, I also, you know, perfected my pattern making, my draping, which is a system of making patterns on a dress form, and all of that kind of just happened there. But always in the back of my mind, it was, I want to teach, I want to teach, but I need to know the industry first before I start teaching the subject properly, and that's why, you know, I started, kept the work working there, and eventually I thought, but you know, I'd like to know what retailing is all about, so. I left. I, I turned him, you know, put in my resignation and said, "I I, I want to find out what retailing's about." And Baltimore also had a big retailing industry at the time, with major department stores and a lot of junior stores that were extremely very very popular, where the kids would be lined up around the building just to get into the store. So I went into management with some of the junior department type of stores, and I did that for a couple of years, and then I thought. Oh, maybe it's time to go back to designing. Unfortunately, an opportunity came up and there was a company well, It was a program started by the state of Maryland. It, it was a fashion program. Um, it, work program that was called Ethnically Yours. And the whole concept was that they would uh, there would be a designer and then there would be a support staff and the designer would create gar- a line of garments and once it was sold, the garments would be sewn by senior citizens who have retired from a lot of them from the garment industry, and it was to supplement their social security income. So these are beautiful children's wear clothing. There was a lot of embroidery on it, and we sold them to high end stores. So I did that for a while. And when I was, and I enjoyed it a lot because working you know, working with the old timers from the industry was such a magical experience. And I learned oh, yeah. more about the, the whole process of designing and the fine art of sewing and all that. And at that time, while well, I was working there, uh, Baltimore City Community College, which uh, was from the history of it, it was the model for community colleges throughout the United States in the 50s after the war, okay. um, was an important, and it still is an important college, community college in Maryland. They had um, they had one branch, but they opened one of the, where the Inner Arbor is, where the tourists are and all, and they just decided to start a fashion design program. And, you know, my husband saw the ad in the newspaper. We didn't have computers in those days. you had to look in the newspaper for jobs. He said, why don't you apply? They're looking for, you know, part-time people. We could start part-time. And I said, oh, okay. I got hired. I got hired to teach one course. So I would go and design. And at lunchtime, I would leave and run down to the college, which was not too far away, and teach the course, come back. And so I did that for maybe a couple of years. And then a full-time, well, I was teaching the the uh, I was an elderly lady that, that was running the department and she kept watching me teach and she, she saw that the students really related to me and she liked that I brought in all this real world experience in the classroom. So she said, you know, I'm getting ready to retire. Why don't you? Um, why don't you apply for the full-time job? And I just was, oh my God, this is my dream come true. The only job in the state of Maryland for fashion. And this is what I want to do. I want to teach. And so, I um, I applied and I got the job yeah. and they hired me to teach. But 24 hours later, they made me the program head, and I was like 29 years old at the time. But in between all that, I did go back to school and get my master's. My mother wow. pushed my sister and I. She said, "You need to go get your master's." And back then, it was like women they get you know they're, they're lucky they went to college, yeah, <laughs> and the master's. So so my sister and I decided, well, we'll go to the top. We'll go to Hopkins University and enroll in the higher education program, so both of us got our master's in higher education. Which was very important because when I applied for the teaching job, they wanted a master's degree. Now they should have to have a PhD, so that worked out. You know, mom
0: always wonderful. That. <laughs> so, and at uh, John Hopkins, so I'm sure it looked very good on your resume. It
1: did. It did. I had you know two top private colleges in the United States, Maryland Institute. Yay, mom! <laughs> yeah. <so>. Yay, mom. <laughs> They were, you know, when I applied, that usually got my foot in the door. Uh, and also my experience in the industry because I worked oh, know, yeah. for companies with big names and all that. So that mm-hmm. was 1979. I got hired full time. I became the program head in less than 24 hours. But once I took over, I mean, I really knew the industry. I, I would tell the students, I know what I'm doing. I stand here very confident. Uh, and they appreciate sure. that. And I was very honest with the students. They'd, I didn't give grades away or anything like that. They really had to earn those grades. And years later, most of them are, I can tell you that so many of them are my friends on Facebook and I've kept in touch with them. And they always tell me, I appreciate the fact that you were tough, that you didn't just give me a grade to give me a grade. And uh, they had to earn it. But Mm -hmm. so I restructured the program and made it extremely strong in the technicals, pattern making, draping, eventually we went into computer aided design, We did a course called fashion design concepts, which was, uh, really, um, you know it's almost like your books we would we would talk about body shapes and where the waist is and all that uh um, in that class so that they could understand <laughs>
0: yeah
1: i mean you know that was important because I, I i in order for them to get a job in the industry let's face it not everybody's going to be a designer when they come out of the uh even if they come out of Parsons school of design but at least they could get a job maybe making a pattern or in the computer aided area get their foot in in the door and that's what I believed in and now this was the 80s going into the 90s at that point fashion design was fashion design programs kind of fell out of favor everybody was shutting them down in universities I kept mine going and it's still, they're all still going today um, because I made them so strong technically and everybody, you know, other people were doing more research oriented work, but I focused um, on, on the technicals. And I had a, when I left Baltimore, when I returned Baltimore City Community College, I had over 200 students in the program. We had 75 wow. industrial straight sewing machines. We had specialty machines and all that, but um, so I restructured the courses to be more technical, but they also got their science, textile science, history of fashion, and they had to do their liberal arts classes. But I'm also a strong believer in taking the students out of the classroom so that they can yes. And I did a lot of that. I did a lot of that. Okay. I, every year, I would take them overseas to Europe, and we went to Morocco, Morocco one time, too, and we explored their industries. I would get them into, like, the House of Trussardi, um and, and things like that. Uh, Wonderful. I would that house. So, so it, I would do these one-week fashion design things at the end of every school year, open to anybody, but I opened them to the outside people, too, because there were just lay people that just wanted to learn, that just loved my trips. They were very organized and we didn't stay in cheap hotels. We always did a top of the line, but we kept the, I had a great travel agent. So we kept the price really <laughs> great. And, uh, but they were real fashion designers. They were not shopping. Tri- I mean, they had time to shop, of course, but they were not shopping trips every day. There was a learning module, something that they had to learn, um, And so it could be a design house. We went to where they in France, where they make do the beadwork for the Haute Couture lines. Um, so we've done uh, we've done all that. We've had workshops in some of the uh, foreign schools in Italy and in France for the students. You know, sometimes uh, colleges take students overseas and their teachers conduct the te- the the workshops. But I had the actual teachers in Italy and and in France conduct the workshops. I mean, we went to Ireland and Ireland is much into cottage fashion, cottage industry weaving, and all that. So we saw a lot of that. So we went to. Every Every year we would go wow. somewhere, and it was an amazing experience for all, for those that could afford to go, and sometimes we were able to get scholarships for others that couldn't afford and really wanted to go. But one of the things Wonderful. that... So when I got there, it was uh, uh, to take over this program. We didn't have computers, so if I wanted to reach out to anyone, it would be either through the phone or I'd have to write them a letter. So somehow I've, I managed to find um, the name Eleanor Lambert, and... And at that time, I didn't know who the woman was. All I knew was that she was, she did fashion shows at the uh, Waldorf Astoria. But actually, Eleanor Lambert was the person that started Fashion Week. And um, so she, it was just an amazing experience to to kind of meet her. I wrote her a letter and I said... You know, I'm. I have a wonderful fashion design program of students. We like to come and 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 look at the fashion shows, and these were the European shows that she scheduled held yes. at the World Waldorf Astoria. And I still have her letter with her signature, and she wrote back and she said, um, "I will let you and." a the eight students come, but you must stand in the back of the room. (laughs) So I said, fine, we will come. We will stand anywhere and you cannot cause any commotion and all that. So, so in those days, the, the, um, the she's responsible for bringing all the designers to America. Uh, So she held the shows at then at the Waldorf Astoria and, um, In there, there were all the buyers and big designers, and there were beautiful tables. They were eating and all, and we were in the back of the room just enjoying the show, just thrilled to be there. But that was an amazing experience. Not everybody gets in. To that, and then later oh, on, oh no, <laughs> and you know, later on, I realized, oh my God, she's she's famous. She was American fashion publicist. She was instrumental in increasing the international prominence of the American fashion industry and the emergence of New York City as a major fashion capital. That's she right. Had- then Lambert was the founder of New York Fashion Week, uh, the Council right. of Fashion Designers of America. She started the Met Gala with all the costumes and the and the stars, and she also did the International Best Dress list. I had no clue. I was young. I had just started yeah. less than a year at the college. I, I was pretty bold <laughs> to do that. That
0: was awesome for your students. Oh my gosh! That I remember when all of that was happening and. And New York was becoming, you know, a fashion capital, not just for manufacturing and designers, but for, as you say, after Paris, you know, Milan and New York. Before, it really wasn't, you know, it was all couture. It was all Parisian, so much of it, you know, and then all of a sudden also New yeah, York. America
1: really it
0: wasn't a player in
1: all of it. And I do, you know, when I would take the students back to France, and I would hire the teacher, French teacher, French fashion design teachers to teach the classes. they were like, why do you bring them to France? I said, what do you mean? It's a capital. They said, no, no, Milan's the place to go. And so so sometimes they would tell me that I'm like, no, but they want to come to France. <laughs> so yeah, they
0: want, they to, want fr- to come to Paris, absolutely. <laughs> and it did really start there. And then, of course, there are wonderful, wonderful Italian designers, and and it is a big place now, but in the very beginning, it all started Dior. You said right. Laurent, Balenciaga, come right. on, they were all Parisian. Oh, Whether they to- were from there or not, they moved. I mean, Yves Saint Laurent was from Albania, but he made you know he's a French couturier was right, was
1: yeah, claim to fame, right. And I was you know we were privileged to um, to be invited to his showroom in in Paris. We did that yes. and all that and. Eleanor Lambert invited us every year to that show until, <gasps> the, like the big fashion week, she did. It didn't stop there. Every year I would write to her and say, "Can I bring a new group of students?" Oh yeah, you know. Oh yes. It, um, it just. Did. Sometimes I'm t- maybe I may donate that letter to the FIT some museum at some point because it is originally signed by her. But and and over the years I was able to meet some and exciting fashion designers. I, I, the Smithsonian in Washington and the, I believe it was the late, probably in the nineties would do a designer series. So I got to meet a lot of people through there. We had Edith Head, the fa- famous costume really? designer and I would bring my students to these events too. And she won a record eight Academy awards, her best costumes design throughout her career. Um, and, um, she was there with her her very famous muse, which was Elizabeth Taylor. So I got to meet both of them. Very very nice people. They are they were very tiny ladies, and Elizabeth was just gorgeous. <laughs> so that was an exciting yeah. to see the some of the original costumes that she that they produced um that she produced that Edith had did. Um, I got to meet Andre Leon Talley. He was the first African-American creative de- director. Yes. Um, he, he died not long ago. And right. He wasn't famous then. He was from Washington, D.C., so he had a showing of his clothes through the Washington Fashion Group. Um, yes. And eventually, and he became a stylist, creative director, editor at large of Vogue magazines, um, from 1983, I think, to 1987, and, um, and and as I said before, the first African American male creative director. He was very nice, very humble. He showed the students his collection, spoke to us like you know we just were best of friends. Um, I got to I met Mark Jacobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he at the um, he wasn't, again, he wasn't super famous then. He was a little famous. He was still wheeling his clothes on racks on 7th yeah. Avenue in his factory. Uh, he had a showroom that had burned down or had a fire. Um, mm-hmm. But Mark held high positions at Perry Alice and Louis Vuitton. Um, but his own brand is what exploded. And, uh, yeah. and he's a uh, top designer. Uh, but that was before Mark was. Why? Right. He, he was very nice. He shared what he had wanted to share with his with our students as much as possible, to answer their mm-hmm. questions. That was um, nice. Yeah, so those are some yeah. of the people Bob Mackie, the costume designer, he did the yeah. show. He did that iconic Marilyn Monroe dress that Kim Kardashian wore not long ago or maybe should not have worn not long ago, um, <laughs> which I think, you know, he was a little upset that you wore it. <laughs> so, um, and he did yeah. share, he showed us, he had some of Cher's costumes. So we got to see those up and close to see how they were made and all, which was important for us to see how things were made. And he was so nice. Gave us, uh, one of his, his original sketches, he autographed it, gave it to us for the department. And, um, um, and he gave us some feathers off of Cher's dress. He- I love it. <laughs> so, um, and over the, you know, those are just a few of the people. Uh, I've, I've met Jeffrey Bean to the late Jeffrey Bean, many years ago through the Washington Fashion Group. It was very active with bringing fashion designers to, to Baltimore and Washington in those days. Um, you know, now it's different, totally different vibe. Um, so... And the, uh, one of the other things I'm really, you know, besides all the designers and then courses and then the exciting technical courses, I managed to, um, to get a museum, which I cannot reveal the name because they swore me the secrecy. <laughs> well, apparently all these wealthy ladies had donated these original garments to a big museum, a big name museum, and they were trying to get rid of the collection. I don't know why, I didn't inquire. All I said was yes. I'll take them. I take as many. So we got about thirty orig- original, uh, actually designed by the the actual designers, not by their proteges. But actual des- Dior's, Chanel, Saint Laurent, Pierre Cardin, and Klein, all of those um, became our study collection. Students could look at it, get inspired. We had a we showcased them at a local museum. We had like an opening night and all that. But um, so that was, you know, that was a big deal, which not everybody, you know, they don't turn them over to just any college, but they recognized right. that we were a, um, you know, strong college that was totally, we were totally devoted to the, to educating the students and all that. And so and your I, background,
0: your background, I think, is what also drew them well, to you. Well,
1: I, well I was I you know I was always picking up the phone and calling people. Yeah, I also had an advisory board made up of, of, of fabulous people in the industry that guided the program. I got to remember at that time Baltimore had a huge industry. So one day and I again it was right at the beginning I'm sitting in my office and I look up and this tiny little lady maybe mid-age, maybe in her 50s, walks in, and I didn't know who the heck she was, unannounced. She didn't make any appointment, walks right in, and she says, you and I need to work together. I said, okay. I didn't know who she was, but I said, oh, okay. We were ready to work with you. I said, but who are you? She said, I am Harriet Banks, and I am Joseph A. Banks. We, um, the factory at that time was right across the street from the college, and you're going to work with us. And I said, fine. I'm going to uh, provide, uh, make some jobs available for your students. We're going to give you all our leftover wools and all of that for the students wow. to. Wow.
0: Um,
1: and she joined our board, and I'm going to introduce you to a lot more prominent people around here. <laughs> and so with that relationship still. I mean, she just um, passed on last year. I think a year or four, and we that relationship just really lasted over the years. At the end of the season. Racks of gorgeous European wools would be rolling into our college. We had rooms full of fabrics, actually. from New I, New love York. I had a fabulous assistant, and she called everybody in New York, and they gave us our leftovers, but they were good leftovers. They weren't yes. junk. But Mrs. Banks would make sure that she hired one of my students as like an assistant designer at Banks. He went on, and he, I still keep in touch with him. Now he's the uh, creative director for Steve Madden in New York. Oh, yeah. Steve Um, Madden. Yeah. Yeah. He works for Steve Madden. So he said, you know, with my two year degree, he said, I've never been unemployed. Um, So some of the students went on to have some really lucrative jobs in the industry. Some of them created their own jobs and that kind of stuff. And over the years, every four or five years, I would revamp the program, offer new new courses, because I wanted to keep up with the times. So when the you, computers started to become popular, we had to go into computer-aided design. I did not know anything about it, but I a hired a hired experts in that area to teach the classes. So that gave us an edge over other colleges. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were fortunate that the college, the state of Maryland, was giving us money, uh, a grant every year to 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 buy the latest equipment and that sort of stuff. So we worked with Mrs. Banks um, uh, with sending students to Joseph A. Banks to the factory. Now they no longer have a factory in Baltimore. That's all been shut down. But Mrs. Banks also introduced me to the president of the Baltimore Museum of Industry, which is dedicated to preserving Baltimore's industrial heritage. Anyone comes to Baltimore, it's a neat museum to see. There's, it's not one with paintings and all, but it's just uh, more of a, I call it a man's museum. And we, with the other leaders of the factories, the big factories in Baltimore, we put together a garment loft. So when people go there, they can walk into a space that looks like a turn of the century factory because uh, the fashion industry, as I said before, was an important industry in Baltimore employed a lot of people yeah. so walk in there, you'll see the industrial machines, and sometimes they'll work with school groups and they'll do labor negotiations and all that kind of stuff. So it's very interesting to go in there and see the space with the authentic machines. Um, but they have little vignettes like that, of the printing and, and that sort of thing. So that was another important thing. The students um, managed to design costumes, Um, that represented the workers through time periods. So they got experience in actually making some costume design, not just learning it from a book. Um, We also, you know, I made sure that the teachers that I hired were Experts in whatever they taught, I didn't want them teaching just straight from books. It's uh, it was fine to use them as reference, but I didn't want them to say to a student, "Well, go on page eight and see what it says." You know, I wanted them to be total experts. So they got experts in every every uh, subject matter. And when <clears throat> well, I was there towards the end of my time at Baltimore City Community College, um, and since it's a it was a community college. Uh, I had older students, and since we were the only ones that had a program, I would get the type of student that probably would have gone to Hopkins or someplace like that, or FIT if FIT was close by. So I got some really wonderful students. They were mostly a a little bit older, so that was kind of a, a, a pleasure. So one of the and sometimes I would, some of these students had worked or were older and had worked in the garment industry. So after they got their degree, I ended up hiring them as teachers. Well, one of those students, her name was Erica Yu, she walked in and she said I'm retiring from the federal government I want to learn designing this is what I wanted to do all my life my father said no when I was young I needed a real job and I'm back and she took you know, I was watching her. She she went through the program, and she was a photographer. And I had a lot of notes for my the draping class that I taught. And draping is a system, as a pattern making system. You can make do patterns on paper, which is called flat pattern. You can do measure. Uh, uh, patterns by a person's individual measurements that call, call, is called drafting, or you can actually get a dress form and through a mathematical system and cutting and pinning, you can actually develop Patterns on a dress form. And I had a lot of notes that I have put together, but no pictures. And she said, you know, you have so all these notes, you need pictures. And I said, yes. Well, I tried to hire a photographer and it didn't work out. They just disappear when they see all the photographs they have to take. She goes, on well, I take pictures. I will photograph it for you. And at the same time. I love it. And the, so I said, "Oh well, that will be wonderful." Because about seven years before that, I had actually sent a sample chapter the Fairchild Publication about my the notes that I had. And uh, Fairchild is a top of the line for fashion books. And so yes. I I went to the top. So that was seven years before, and I got a rejection letter. No, we can't use your you know we can't use your your notes or whatever. Um, so. My Erica started to take pictures uh, somehow I'm when we used to have book vendors that would come to sell us books and there was a book vendor from Fairchild and I said, I got all these notes. And I have someone now taking pictures. I think it would make a great book. And she said, you know, I'll talk to the acquisition editor at Fairchild. So the acquisition editor called me and she goes, I hear you got a lot of notes. We're really interested. And I said, well, seven years ago, you weren't. And they said, no, we're interested now because we're having issues with books of the same Um, topic, they're not quite as clear. And I said, oh, I can write really clear. And she said, send me a sample chapter. So Erica, I got my team together. I also, uh, one of my other students that was Katerina Kozarova, who was um, a foreign student, and I saw she had potential. She had degrees in design from overseas. So was uh, working with us to get the American degrees. I said, "Can you, you know, can you help me? Can you serve as a draper as I read you my manuscript, and can you do the computer aided designs?" And she said, "Yeah." So we got on board. We sent the sample chapter, and it got great reviews. Um, and they said you got the con. We got a contract. We'll pay your photographer. We'll pay pay the draper. We want you to focus and on writing this book. And it's about two hundred and some pages. You have nine months to do it. So and and so now, it, which was a lot of work because I was wor- also working full time running the program. It's a
0: beautiful book.
1: <laughs> it is. They did a great job. You know, within, between the pictures and their uh, Fairchild's graphics people did a nice cover for it. Um, So we, you know, we managed to get it together in nine months um, of work and we were working day and night summers and all that and we sent it out and in 2009 it was um, officially christened and out there. Um, Although it's 10 years, almost 10, 11 years later, unless people grow three arms, you can still use uh, the information in those those pages. It's really not dated at all uh, uh, with the system. So I I came up with a clear system of different designs and uh, how to make patterns on a dress form, which of course addresses the waist. Um, Every, uh, when we do the bodice, we measure from the neck to the waist. So the waist is an important, important measurement and plays an important role. But, uh, you know, we had to use standard measurements like size eight and a size eight dress form. And so the, the book was published. And at that point, I had 34 years in the state of Maryland teaching system. And I thought, Oh, um, I, you know, I have enough time to retire. I, I have, my, well, I have enough time in my pension plan to retire. Uh, why, maybe I just need to retire and I'll just start right since the book did really well. I said, st- oh, let me, I, I can start writing more books. And so I put in my letter of resignation to the to the dean at the college. He was not happy about it. He started screaming. Oh. <laughs> He's like, oh, my God. And I um, said, you, you'll get over it. I'll leave you in good hands, blah, 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 you know that. And, <laughs> but 24 hours later, after that, I get a note, an email. By then we have computers, obviously. I get this email and this gentleman says, hi, and my name is Keith Cooch. I'm the, de- I'm the newly appointed dean of the School of Design at Stevenson University. And we're thinking about starting a four-year fashion design program. So we went from fashion programs closing up to all of a sudden when Project Runway started, everybody wanted to be a designer. Schools started to open up programs and Stevenson University, predominantly liberal arts college, wanted to start a four-year fashion program. And he said in his communication, "Um, I hear you have a great program there. Can I come and take a look at it? So I replied, I said, well, I'm getting ready to retire. You're welcome to come. Um, I'll show you around and tell you what's involved. But when he got there, I kind of thought, I think he's got another motive for being here than just looking at the program. I just kind of thought, I think he wants to hire me. So, so right. we came through the grand tour of all the machines, the computer-aided area. Um, we had the book and the manuscript all laid out. And in 24 hours after that, he said, oh, do you think you could send me your resume? I'd like to put you on our advisory board. And not long after that, he, he wrote to me and he said, you know, we got the program approved by the state of Maryland. Would you please apply for the job? And I thought that was about a year. You know, I had a year of retirement. Yeah. <laughs> a year! That's all you needed, right? <laughs> but I, but I, I got in, I, in that one-year time, I, I ended up teaching at the University of Delaware and their fashion merchandising program, they needed somebody just part-time, just one course. I would drive to Delaware from Maryland every week, like craziness, but it was fun. <laughs> so um, so I told the dean, Dean Kuch, I said, Okay, I can. I, I'll apply, and and then I kind of started. Uh, not, a, uh, you know, I couldn't. I was not officially employed, but I kind of started helping him. You know, giving him some ideas for courses and all that. So in twenty eleven. I ended up at Stevenson and I was the program core associate professor program coordinator of the fashion design program there and I had a, I was there about 6 or 7 years um wonderful years and I started their four year program built it totally from scratch and it, it was just uh, again I built something that was uh, a little bit of art we were in the school of design and a little little liberal arts uh, theory courses. And uh, and technicals, very very technical. We at, at that point, then product development became a big uh, yeah. deal in the industry, which we didn't have that when I was starting out. And uh, developing tech packs, technical specification sheets, where you put your your sketch down and have to measure everything that's sent overseas or Asia or somewhere where somebody does the pattern. That became an important sort of job. So I hired tech. I actually hired oh, yeah. art development product developer, excuse me, from um, Under Armour. Armour. So uh, they came on campus and taught part-time for us. So that was a new area besides, you know, we went from Mm -hmm. computer-aided design, which was so important to that. And also at one point we were teaching fashion, technical fashion illustration, which is important by hand. But now we have computers, so we had two sections of that. We we taught the students how to do it by hand, but then they learned how to use a computer to do their technical fashion illustration, and they had – classes on developing their collection so they had to do a five-piece collection we had, with at both schools we had beautiful fashion shows at the end which were well attended like by like 300 people people from the industry um and things like that so that's a little bit about my um my career I don't a know a little bit that is
0: wonderful you really missed anything just through Your journey—that is just fabulous. Yeah, that's
1: been my journey, but now I really am retired, and I do things like this radio show and mentoring students and um, doing workshops for other and draping for other colleges.
0: I have something. Yeah, that's good. We only have a little bit less than two minutes left. Oh, and I just wanted to be sure I got to thank you, uh, Sally. And Queen DeMarco, I see why, <laughs> uh, Math, Matthew Jason Tompkins told me that. And he's one of my former a, students, too. <laughs> yes. He's <was, laughs> one of my successful students. You have not speak to her. And I said, <laughs> yeah. I will. I love Tracy. I mean, he's very yeah. talented. Very talented He seems to be very, very, very talented. Yeah. And... Um, I just wanted to say thanks for being on. And if you had any final words of wisdom for anyone going into becoming a designer, um, Uh, how do you do the best? Take care of our women in their various body shapes and waist and women in depending on whatever country they're designing in. Because well, we Europe represent- still has Europe emphasizes, I think, a little bit more fit than the
1: American schools. You know, we're, we have this free flowing sort of grunge look nowadays, and, and with synthetics and stretch, um you know, fit has I think gone out the window, but. A serious student of fashion design needs to learn their their how to fit on the human body, their technicals, and take a lot of technical courses. And it doesn't have to be through a college. It could be like uh, online. Online, yes, online. There's plenty of courses. The more you take, the better. Um, but, and one thing that I think everyone, a design student, should think about taking is an anatomy and life course, whether it's an art class or it's a lecture class, because you learn what the what every muscle
0: in the body yes. does. And so, yeah. if, you know, if you they need to know body, the body, these get short. Unfortunately, Yeah, I only got 30 seconds, so I'm going to have to cut you off. But you're right. They need to take a body anatomy course. They need to know the muscle, the soft tissue, and the water. I study the human body,
1: and I still do, because the measurements of clothing changes as we sit, as Mm -hmm. we stand, and you need to accommodate all those things if you want a garment to be successful.
0: That's Uh, that's right. Okay. People will buy it. Yeah, that's right. Thank you so much, uh, Sally. And I'd love to have you on again sometime. Thank you, Sally DeMarco. And you. goodbye from the Space of the Waste on the Variety Channel of Voice America. See you next week. Thank you for listening to the Space of the Waste. Please join host Melody Edmondson again next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and Noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you next time.